Hello and welcome to the Turned On Podcast. I'm Angelique Nori, and my husband David and I have made it our mission to break the darkness by flipping the switch on the four most important areas of your life in health, relationships, business, and in faith. And sometimes the light in the world and in your life can go dim, either from the intrusion of technology or simply because society is so driven by instant gratification. It's our mission to help people see that we're hardwired for connection and that the best things in life come when we turn on the light to see with new eyes the opportunity that exists just a flip away. So if you're ready to stir your spirit, open your eyes, and profit in all areas of your life, then let's get turned on. Here we go. Welcome back to the Turned On Podcast. I'm Angelique Nori, and ahead of me at this table at Warplant Studios is my husband, David Nori. My better half. We're better together than we <laughs> well, are. Well, you know, what can I say? <laughs> what, you, what can you say? That's what you said? I'm That's teasing. What can I say? I'm teasing you. Oh, my you're gosh. You're always the best half. Everybody knows that. Well, uh, well, interestingly enough, we have someone here today um, that we're going to be interviewing that knows a lot about relationships okay what do you think about relationship coach well i know i've learned most of the stuff from you so i know that men could learn a lot but (laughs) i know there's a lot of people out there struggling right now there are there are and we're going to unpack that with her today she's a dear friend of ours we've actually been um, honored to be a guest on a couple of her online summits in the past and we finally were able to connect with her to have her here on the show Ironically, she's now in the DFW area, and for some reason, we haven't physically gotten in together, which I find odd. I find that really odd, but that's, I think, what COVID did. You know, like everyone yeah. starts to keep living in this virtual world, and we don't have to. But Amy Van Slambrook is here today. Um, she's a psychotherapist and certified leadership and relationship coach. So here's the thing. She actually helps high-profile yeah. mission-minded <laughs> women and couple entrepreneurs and leaders to elevate into the most aligned and powerful version of themselves in business relationship and life sounds a lot like this podcast by doing deep healing and transformation at the spirit mind yeah. and physical level. So she's got 30 years of professional experience in psychotherapy, coaching, executive leadership, genetic and psychological research, functional medicine, entrepreneurship, as well as her own 35 year personal journey of trauma healing. We're going to unpack that today and personal development. She brings vast experience to her work in post-traumatic growth and holistic wellness and empowerment. I am super excited to have you here, Amy. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you guys. I am so thrilled about just being together closer in the same space after we moved to the same state and also the conversation we're going to have together. Absolutely. You know, with, with that background and that resume, there was so much. And one of the hardest things to do was to figure out how do we how do we narrow down a topic um, that we can talk about because there's so much. Mm-hmm. And what's been happening lately is I said, Amy, I said, we've been encountering so many people that mm-hmm. the big theme is transition. Mm-hmm. People were, you know, we're, we're in transitions all the time in and out of relationships, jobs, uh, states, travel. And what happened was then then COVID hits and then the pandemic and, and lockdowns and then uh, you have a recession and then a lot of people were personal trauma that yeah. wrapped into the global trauma. And yeah. then the word that kept coming up was people were what? Remember the word? Paralyzed. Paralyzed. Yeah. They were paralyzed in it, like this stagnation and they didn't know how to, what's that first step to get out of it. Mm-hmm. And so much of what we saw was good people, strong people. 
that have had success in parts of their life, but this tsunami of stress, emotion, and just the, what do they call it? The S storm, the, you know, what storm all hit at the same time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so like I said, this is a great opportunity. So Amy, my first question to you is when somebody feels, when somebody comes to you and they're just like, I got nothing, you know, it's like the blank face and, and they just go, I got nothing. And they look at you like, now heal me. I mean, that's a, that's a tall order. Yeah. Um, what are some of the things that you're seeing and what is maybe the first steps on uncovering some healing? Like, like you say, right, exactly. Well, I'm, I'm seeing, and I'm hearing the same thing, you know? Um, and I have had moments myself candidly of feeling that same thing. I think we all have, you know, where we suddenly feel, um, like our hands are tied behind our backs and our, our brain is offline. Hello, could somebody get it back online? <laughs> um, and it's all happening at a very, very deep level. You know, there are all kinds of layers. When someone is in paralysis emotionally, cognitively, um, or even physically, you know, the way that it's tied to trauma is something that Bessel van der Kolk, who wrote um, one of my favorite books called The Body Keeps the Score, illustrated so powerfully. And he's a psychiatrist, but he's also someone who has a great sensitivity to what happens on all these multiple levels when we're in a trauma response. You know, he said, really, the definition of trauma is when the body is prevented from reacting in the way that God created us to react in response to what's happening around them, right? Oftentimes trauma does happen at a physical level, but also when you think about what happened in 2020, we were all kind of frozen, prevented from yeah. doing what we would naturally do, right? Which right. was leave our home, which was to protect ourselves, which was to react to everything that was happening around us. And yet for over a year and a half um, and close to two years in many places, we were prevented from doing that. And so the brain kind of goes back into a primitive state, back into that amygdala where all it can do is think about keeping you safe. And that's a freeze response, right? If you can imagine when you're being chased by a bear, your face can be kind of frozen. Some people fight back, some people flee, and some people freeze, and they're just sitting there before this bear, realizing they should run, willing their body to run, willing their life to move forward, willing their brain to come online. But when the neurological activity isn't happening, when the soul isn't responding, we really can't will it into action. You have to do some, some very targeted steps to, to bring that brain and that body back into a state of feeling like, okay, it's safe for me to come out. It's safe for me to take action. So that's really interesting because, and maybe that's where everyone's unique, you know, response to things uh, is, is very different and individualistic. So, you know, I'm thinking of, you know, in any traumatic experiences I've had and, and there are, you know, I, I kind of call it like, I take my five minutes, you know, maybe that five minutes is a little bit longer in retrospect, but it, I don't milk it for, you know, five years or five months. I just, I take my five minutes and then I try to figure out like, what's the bare minimum I can do to make sure that I'm stewarding, you know, the things that we're called to steward. And obviously that's our health, our relationships and business, which be, we can't live without those. I can't live without my health. I can't live without my, my relationships. And I certainly can't live without having an, you know, economic stimulation in our homes because it puts food on the table, but we all do it on the 
the foundation of our faith and biblical principles. So my question to you then is if, if my innate response is take my five minutes and then start getting into action, what step maybe am I missing that doesn't heal the trauma that could then continue to trigger? Because I think that's what a lot of people are experiencing right now, because many of them say, well, I just feel paralyzed, right? So they mm-hmm. don't even know what steps to take. Mm-hmm. So what can they do other than just will themselves into movement? Right. Well, I think if we go too fast to action, we miss obviously what you said. So, so clearly we miss the steps that are going to add for long lasting healing. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the interim step is to actually get connected to what is going on inside of you. Um, and there are usually four questions that will help with a trauma trigger, because that's essentially what happens when we're paralyzed. You know, we feel okay. like whatever the threat is, it's far bigger than our ability to fight against it or cope with it or even overcome it. Um, Or we're just going to fight. We're not going to take time to deal with why the trauma trigger came up, why we're feeling that way, what is going on inside of our bodies. We just want to get forward motion, right? We just want to keep going. We don't want to pause and do what's going to feel really messy. You know, you can ask these four questions, which is, what am I feeling right now? When did I feel this way before? Because when you're in a freeze response, your brain is remembering when this happened before, here was the really negative consequence. And so I am not going to go anywhere close to that. Mm. So what am I feeling? When have I felt this way before? What did I need in that moment? And this answer doesn't have to be a, a, you know, 100 page dissertation that this could be just simply I need to hear it's going to be okay. Mm. I need to hear I'm not alone in this. I need to hear that God doesn't expect me to be the savior in this situation. Then how can we get that for you right now? That could take the form of your spouse or your child, anybody just giving you a tight hug. And that soothes the nervous system. It actually regulates your nervous system. It calms that fight or flight or freeze response. And it allows you to feel that tactical connection with somebody else. What if, you, what if that person is in an isolate, like just isolating? Right. Well, I, God allowed me to live for literally a year without a hug. And I said, God, I want to see how you're going to use this because it was a really incredible um, experience. Very painful and very weird. This it was a weird how did, cycle. How did that happen? Unpack that. How did, how did you go a year without a hug? Well, I was in quarantine. My family okay. was 3000 miles away. Mm. And all of my friends were exposing themselves. And if I did, I have an autoimmune condition. Mm. And so I was at high risk. And so if I wanted to see my parents who are highly, highly at risk with COVID, when that was a big threat, I had to stay in as much seclusion as they were. Okay. Um, And so it was something I did out of love for them. Yeah, it was really... If we go back to the power of physical touch, I was talking with somebody about this the other day. You know, there's been plenty of studies where um, in the animal kingdom, uh, animals that were abandoned, certainly um, in orphanages where kids, uh, you know, especially in 
in countries in in Eastern Europe and stuff, there's these stories about orphanages where kids grew up without hugs and they started to develop yes. um, physical and mental um, kind of difficulties because of that lack of touch. And we know how that how important that is. And then when we see people who say, hey, you know what? My big thing is if they come to me with trauma, you know, I don't have I have a I have a heart for God and I have an open ear. And you, mm -hmm. as a friend, you want to listen to them. But mm -hmm. there's a difference between being clinically trained and just being a friend. And the hard thing is so many people want to give the cliches. Oh, you know what? Tomorrow's going to be a better day or keep your chin up. And everything that falls under the category of, yeah, duh, right? Like easier said than Thanks, done. Like, Captain Obvious. hey, there's, <laughs> this is the big one. You're going through a breakup. Guess what? There's other fish in the sea. Oh, well, good. That makes me feel better. People don't want to hear that. Like I'm in the realistic part. Like mm -hmm. if you're battling addiction, you don't want to say, hey, you know what? Just kick it. Like yeah. I haven't thought of that before. If you're battling, you know, a breakup, there's other fish in the sea. Thanks for the great advice, you know? So <laughs> I try and go, look, we we have to just admit this is where we are. Um, our pastor said last week about people going through these things, the first thing is hope, right? There has to be some type of hope. When you're at your wits end, there there has to be hope. Yes. So talk to us about that part. Let's go down, like bring it right down. Like, okay, look, I got nothing right now. Yeah. You can say whatever you want. You can tell me all this stuff. But I'll, what I'm looking for is just a glimmer of hope. Because if we can get to tomorrow, if we can get to that next day, that next week, all of a sudden something comes into our life when we least expect it. How do you feel about hope? Yeah. Well, hope is powerful. And, and to wrap up what I was saying about the hug and the hope in that, part of what God showed me is, A, it's powerful to even embrace yourself. And it sounds corny, but I've dealt with lots of people in a lot of isolation over the last couple of years, and it actually helps soothe your nervous system. It reminds your body that there is hope. The other, the other aspect that I know your audience will embrace, as hard as it might be to believe, is that when I prayed, I said, God, I just need to feel somebody's arms. I need to feel that sensation. Oh. Mm -hmm. And as God so miraculously did, he literally gave me the sensation of that. Mm. And it was an incredible journey with him. And I think when we're wanting that hope, when we just want a lifeline, when we want something to tell us that there is light at some phase of this dark, dark tunnel, it's remembering, you know, the connection of those four questions is all the resources God placed inside of us. And to honor, it's understandable you'd feel that way. You are in a lot of pain mm -hmm. and you are never alone in that. And as big as it seems, as enormous and insurmountable as it seems, there is nothing bigger than what God placed inside of you to address it. And, and oftentimes for people just to know that their emotions are understandable, yeah. you know, that it makes sense that it feels like there is no hope of tomorrow. And as someone who, for part of my traumatic journey, battled um, suicidal ideation for, and those are just thoughts of suicide on a frequent basis because things felt so hopeless, you know, including some days when I was totally isolated, you know, that's a bizarre failure to thrive is what those children and, 
mm. and um, the children and the orphanage. How do, they, how do they break a prisoner down, right? They, they put right? them in isolation. When they exactly. break their will, yeah. and we know that, and then you, you feel like there's a sinister part to this because yes. people knew what isolation would would yeah. do. It's it's yeah. no secret. So we're going to isolate everybody and expect that people come out of it. And then yeah. you started talking about one thing you said earlier was the long-term effects. Yeah. You said, we have no idea right now what the long-term effects of this trauma will be. And I thought that was interesting. Right, exactly. And part of that is this sort of, I call it intermittent hopelessness. You know, you can be going through your day and then all of a sudden you kind of bottom out, like the floor just gave way underneath you. And suddenly you feel paralysis, mm -hmm. you feel hopelessness, you feel like, where did my foundation go? Because yeah. we're in this very awkward transitional space between the life we knew before COVID, which was stolen in a moment from us. Yeah. Um, then we adjusted to life in COVID, which for many marriages and many relationships was like putting a house on a foundation. If that foundation was cracked and it was an additional house on that foundation, those cracks are going to separate. It's going to feel bigger, right? Yeah. If you put it on a strong foundation, that foundation is going to be tested, but it's going to show the strengths that you took so much time to put into that relationship. Yeah, but in any that. case, it really, really exaggerated the state of our lives, mm. you know, and, and we didn't take a pause and I think part of this was it varied so, you know, so often with your location. Like, when yeah. did I reenter the world? Well, yeah. depending on where you lived. Yeah. So we didn't take that pause to say, what, what am I feeling? Those four questions, which gives us a sense of what is happening on the deep subconscious level inside of your heart, inside of your soul. And the body is often the biggest um, mouthpiece for that. If you've had digestive issues, migraines, pain that is inexplicable, sleep issues, attention issues, hello, dopamine <laughs> addiction and dopamine withdrawal, because what were we dependent on in the, in the pandemic? Yeah. Yeah. It was this, and that's just gotten exaggerated more and more. And so all of those things are still in existence and we expect, well, now that I can go out and be with my friends and live life normally, why do I still feel any of those? Yeah. Well, because they were very real symptoms of what was happening. Okay. So that, 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 that I get that part because they were that things will manifest and you just can't say, okay, it's over. You know, Yeah. It, it, you if you had, now, a, if you've ever been in a breakup, you just don't say, well, it's over and tomorrow mm -hmm. I'll be fine. Um, yeah. But then the second part was when have I felt these feelings before, right? That's your second mm -hmm. part. And yeah. so with something like COVID where it was foreign and we've never been through something that traumatic, mm -hmm. what do you go back to and say, how do, how do we plug these four mm -hmm. steps into that? Right. Well, often there will be a time before COVID where you felt very isolated, alone, abandoned. Um, many people deal with an abandonment wound of some level um, where you felt kind of forgotten about. You know, I remember one of my nieces when she was about five, I found her in one of the rooms in my parents' home and she was crying. And I said, honey, what's, what's wrong? And she said, I thought everybody forgot it about me, you know, and that, that heartbreaking moment for a child, when it feels forgotten about, I think has happened to just about all of us. My parents forgot me at Chuck E. Cheese when I was 
That's a true story. <laughs> yes. I, I, well, I, know, I know it's a serious subject right now, yeah. but I couldn't help but think of that story. I, I'm looking around and the lady's there and she's like, I'm like, I know there was people here for a birthday party for my nephew. And so oh. she, I knew the number and she called and, and they didn't even know I was missing until like Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah. Your son's here. Yeah. Oh, okay. We'll come up and get him right away. We forgot David. I'm so sorry. I just, yeah. I, I love I, it. I a light love anecdote it. into that story. Well, yeah. And I think it can be as minor as that. And depending on your temperament, that can, for some children, be really, really terrifying, you know? No, I, I know it's really serious because yeah. um, when we talk about that, and, and then again, as you get into adulthood, um, we can look at abandonment. Obviously, a lot of people are going through uh, marital problems, like you mentioned, Amy. And then um, the other thing is, what about the abandonment of the empty nest syndrome? We have some friends that their their kids are now went away to college, and it, it just clicked with me. That's a form of, hey... It's not really I'm being abandoned by them, but, yeah, but I had this house full of touch, yeah. this house full of love, this house full of noise, they and all of a sudden it gets very quiet. Can you yeah. speak to that? Yes. Well, that's such a such an understandable feeling of emptiness. I mean, on so many levels. First of all, so much of our purpose is tied up in in our role as parents, right? And I think that's a big part of it. Like, who am I now? Yes. When we share life with people, they give context to the role that we serve in the world, right? They witness our lives. They're the ones who share things and they give context and definition to who we are. And when those are yanked away from us, suddenly it's like, well, wait a minute, who am I? Who am I? Am I the same person? Am I a different person? And oftentimes, you know, in isolation, almost all the time, we're faced the re with the reality of our lives. We're faced with the quiet and the emptiness that leaves us to face the things that we've been ignoring for so many years. Whether that's you know not having other things in life that feed our purpose and our connection and other relationships, whether it's a marriage that isn't working, but the kids are a welcome distraction from us really dealing yeah. with what's happening you know, behind closed doors. Mm -hmm. And then when the kids are gone, you're left facing each other, right? And so oftentimes people will get other distractions. It takes away any distraction from us facing what God wants us to face and how we've built our lives and how we've built our connection to him. Interesting. Wow. So what do you, let me ask you this then, because, you know, I think about what you're saying here and, and you've, you actually hit the nail several times just through your own language. Um, you know, saying things like, well, who am I? And yeah. for me, it's kind of, it's easy for me in, in this moment because I'm not experiencing those things firsthand, but I know I had in the past, but I just think to myself, like, when did I ever have an identity crisis, you know? Um, but I also know that when I go to the well, I go to the word and it's like, what does God, who does God say that I am, you know? And, and that's easier for me to tap into because I've done a lot of work around it. But what about the people you know, that are experiencing this right now, whether it's from, you know, uh, marital issues or empty nesting, or just all of a sudden find themselves in a transitionary point. Because I think a lot of the wake up call after the pandemic too, was people just were like, you know what, life's too damn short. And I, I don't want to stay stuck in whether it's this profession or whatever, they wanted to start living differently and exploring things. And, and now they're kind of questioning their whole identity. What do you, what do you suggest or what kind of work can they practically do around that? Because I think there's a fine line between prayer and practicality. 
mm-hmm. um, that we are, we oftentimes miss. And I would really love to hear you touch on like the two pieces there because they're two wings of the same bird that we oftentimes think that they're isolated in separate silos. Right. Well, I, I think, you know, depending on where they are emotionally with that, if it's daunting to think about redefining themselves or if it gives them hope and optimism, you know, there are both camps that approach this yeah. like, wow, this is the fresh start I've wanted or, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I kind of miss the, the, the old life. Right. And, and I didn't, I wasn't ready for it to go away. I think a lot of it is again, going back to, Um, the level of empowerment that you have within you. God placed us um, as strong points in our lives for a reason. And too many times, especially with something like COVID, we look to external factors. You know, we feel controlled by the external um, and then we feel disempowered internally. Like I don't have any control or choice Or what I heard from a lot of people is what if I don't like the person I become and I remind them, you know, you aren't going to go away. Like you're still going to be conscious through the whole process of evolution. But I think, um, you know, what I cycle back to and what is most healing is to really honor what that question is inside of themselves. You know, what is it that comes up? What are you feeling about all of that? And it sounds kind of, you know, um, kumbaya-ish or a little bit flowery, but I think it's in that moment of surrender that if you keep ignoring the emotions behind it, they're, they're not going to go away. The way to feel truly empowered is to be able to say, this is what I feel about it, to honor that that makes sense like you would with your children. And then to say, well, what do you need to help with that feeling allows you to come back to what is God telling me about how to get through this? What is God telling me about how he uniquely equipped me to meet my own needs and to define who I am um, to really understand? You know, I believe God gave us us for particular reasons. And that's getting to know ourselves, being completely candid with ourselves about our, um, our desires and understanding those desires are not just selfish. They're actually purposeful. If we don't meet them, God doesn't, you know, feel that he, well, I shouldn't say how God feels, but God needs us to fulfill them so that we can fully step into the, the uh, purpose that he gave us to fulfill. You know, that the people we're meant to impact need us to embody that identity fully and not resist against it for whatever reason they're going through in their life. Does that make sense? Yeah. That, yeah. yeah, it's um, hell, is a se- hell is a separation from God. You know, it's often been described as a separation from them. And when people say I'm going through this emotional hell, well, yeah. then you're you're saying that you're, you're correct. You're going through a separation from God. And the only way to get out of that is to, is to embrace him. And we, we call that a surrender. And then some of the some of the darkest times of my life, um, and, and when I've talked to people who are going through dark times, um, and I talked to a guy recently who was, um, he was a 30 years sober and, you know, doing great. He goes, look, I go, what do you tell somebody who's in the depths of addiction or something like that? He goes, sometimes it's the best place you can be is at rock bottom because then God has a chance to build you back up when you surrender, when you have nothing else to lose. And I was like, well, that's tough to hear, but I, I get it. That whole surrender is 
you know, we want to be, we want to be swept away. Like our, our earthly father, as soon as you get a little Nick, okay, it's all right. I won't let you, you know, get hurt anymore. Instead of, you know, you're, you're really in the depths of despair. Not that God, here's the thing, this gets confused all the time. People are like, well, why would God do this to me? And, and over and over again, we read that God is a God of love and he does not do this, but there is free will and there are things here. And if we don't accept him, if we don't meet him halfway, I believe it's hard for him to allow us to heal ourselves. Yes. And that that's what hurts me is when people feel abandoned by God, which we say like, I can't hear yeah. him or why did he do this or how could he let this happen? And sometimes it's very big things. Yeah. And you keep, you'll hear like, I feel abandoned by him. It's just blow by blue. I can't take him much more. I want, I want to feel like that peace and that love. I feel like I can't hear him. You know, it's just, so what, that's the, I guess the prayer and practicality, like what is, you know, cause I think it's easy again, just be like, well, you have to hit your knees in prayer or and surrender to God. And when you use all this and it ends up to someone like that in that place, almost feels like platitudes, you know, just like, okay, great. Thanks. Um, but they don't, there's no practical peace. Cause I think that sometimes we, when we say that they're maybe they're expecting some supernatural thing to happen and God plucks them out of that. And, and, you know, and puts them in, uh, you know, a field with butterflies and unicorns and everything's going to be okay, but that's just not how it works. It's oftentimes a process. So what, you know, what's the process of, of that kind of manifesting? We're going to get into that too. Uh. I love, well, I love that. And, you know, um, when God has allowed me to hit rock bottom and allowed me to essentially you know, hit the point where I literally was knocking on death's door um, when I was 28. And um, I was going through deep therapy. I was also in the throes of anorexia. And I got on the scale and realized I weighed what I did when I was nine. Mm. You know, and I was totally, I was running as fast and hard as I could away from God. Anything because I completely misunderstood him. And I realized I hadn't a really deep relationship with my anger and mm. not a relationship with God. And, you know, when I hear people saying, I can't hear him, I can't feel him. It feels like he's forgotten about me. You know, as, as hard as it is, I say it, it was at those moments where I just like poured my heart out to God. It was at that moment that I finally had to say within myself, no, I'm not going to die. You know, it's at those moments where there's really it's it's um, a very fine line and it's about letting yourself be in the mess of the emotions and saying, this is what I'm feeling. How could you rail? Again? God isn't scared of your anger. <laughs> Nothing yeah. is scary. And he knows it's there anyway. He's waiting mm -hmm. for you to use it because that anger when it is released and literally physiologically, the cortisol cycles through, what do we come back to? Usually tears. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's a great and point. When I was um, really wrestling with God because I went through abuse when I was five and I said, God, I know that you are in every situation. I didn't realize the level of anger I felt with him. I said, for years, I thought, okay, well, God must have thought I, I was just kind of tough enough to go through that or, or I needed to learn a lesson, but really I was angry. Like, where yeah. were you? Where were you? If you are omnipresent, where were you in that moment? And he said to me, honey, I, I went where nobody else could go. I was going ahead of you. 
you know, it breaks God's heart when he sees us going through trauma, especially when we're the ones who've invited it into our lives. Mm. But he is never absent. Prayers are never answered. They just not might not be answered in the way we want. You know, they may be answered in a way that expects us to dig a little deeper and listen a little harder. And as hard as that is, what it means is coming home to yourself and saying, can I be with me in this moment? Because God wants me to be with me. And in that moment, I finally could accept the fact that, no, it wasn't because I I deserved it. It wasn't because I was expected to be tougher than everybody else. It broke God's heart that that happened. And it wasn't his will, but he did what only he can do. As Romans 8, 28 says, he went ahead and somehow he wove it together for good. And no matter how dark the days seem and how much you identify with Joseph being at the bottom of a pit, abandoned by the people you thought you were supposed to trust, you thought, you know, hey, we're going to let him feel our anger because we've had enough of him, you know, and was left to die, really. Um, it was in those moments that God can peel away the layers of our ego and really get to the heart of what we need to be at when we're relating to him. And that's when we have the best hope that's unshakable. It doesn't come with like taking quick action. It doesn't yeah. come with 12 easy steps, mm-hmm. but it comes yes. with a lot of wrestling and a lot of journaling and a lot of railing and a lot of tears. But at the end of it, you'll find yourself. Yes. That's, mm-hmm. I love that answer. Gosh, I, I'm, I know we're going to, we're going to go back to that and we're going to just listen to it again because it was perfect and it was so true. And mm-hmm. and when we talk about that, you know, the 12 easy steps or the manifesting mm-hmm. without God, you know, <laughs> we've gotten into that in our culture so much where the manifesting, but if it's not in the name of Jesus in the name of, of the higher authority right there, then it's bereft of the supernatural power that we can count on. It's not bereft, maybe supernatural power in general, because there's a, there's an opposite to that. There's the enemy. So tell a little bit about that, what you've, what you've seen with the manifesting being so popular, but how important it is to use the name of the almighty in that. Absolutely. And I love, I love your passion for this topic because it's an, it's an understandable trauma response. People want trust more than anything else. We want to know that somehow we can predict where our lives are headed and we have full control over how it's going to happen and when it's going to happen and what it's going to look like. And that's what the manifesting solution promises, right? It's a great marketing, um, but it's really horrible with delivery because at the end of it, we find, oh my gosh, I'm still human. Like I'm not, I'm not God. I'm not supernatural. I am a human and we are not manifestors. What it signals is a desire for trust and safety. And what our brains are constantly doing is scanning the environment for how do I stay safe? How do I stay safe? There is a threat. And right now we are reaping the consequences of the fact that we didn't feel a whole lot of control over our lives these last couple of years. As a, as a society, we didn't. Um, and what's happening recently with things that we couldn't even have imagined. I'm not sure any fiction writer could have imagined some of what we're seeing in the dynamic politically, um, in some of the policies that are being passed, in some of the ways people are being not only allowed, but encouraged 
to behave regarding identity. We're, we're being stripped of that. So of course we want to control things. And so we go to what we think will allow us that control. It sounds so alluring. You know, it just sounds so attractive that if you just employ these skills, you can become a better manifester. And even more horrible is the abomination that somehow we are God, right? That God is in us and it, it completely twi twists scripture around this. And the only manifester is God. And the way that we become who he wants us to become, the way he can fully act through us and in us is through faith. And it wasn't meant to be easy. And God has had to, like, I call it the two by four on the forehead with me because I can be so stubborn, yeah, but it's like, so honey, it wasn't meant to be easy. If it was easy, it wouldn't be faith, yeah. you know, but sometimes he allows us little signs in between it's believing until we're seeing which is all about hebrew 11 1 through 3 but not in the manifesting sense it's what did god put inside of your heart it's believing that even if we don't see it this side of heaven that is his intent you know, and that was the kind of faith and quote unquote manifesting that Abraham even showed, yeah. you know, in the, in the steps he took, we don't, we tell that story and that was hard. Like his, <laughs> I mean, I can't even imagine the faith that must have taken that. I know even if he dies, you are still going to bring him back from the dead because you promised me a son. Mm. And, and I think when we're dealing with trauma, there's no better healer than to have God be able to show Amen. off. He's the great physician. Yeah. You know, his, his, his blood, uh, his, the, the stripes are, have, have been made for us. And, you know, yeah. we, we were talking about the power. We shared a book. Uh, it's called the power of the tongue, right? It's by Charles mm -hmm. Caps. Yeah. And that opened my eyes to, okay, you know, there is something manifesting, but it's manifesting with the name of Jesus, and it's given to us by the Bible, and it's been hijacked by the New Age, and they've left out the author, and that's the scary part. But if, if you're out there and you're looking for something, you're like, well, uh, I would suggest that book. Are there any other books that you've read that you could suggest? Um, the other one that he wrote is The Power of the Creative Mind, you know, and I think as we put this in, in context, I will try to think of some other resources because I know that they are out there and understanding the faith journey is so important. Um, but also Jesus said, you know, the power of life and death is in the tongue. And so people can say, well, you're manifesting negative things. Well, God also built us with what's called the reticular activating system. And so we see more of what we focus on, right? And so we're biologically programmed. And when I have not been very careful with my tongue, I could say, well, I manifested all this negativity into my life. Or it's the fact that I'm being completely irresponsible and thinking that there is no power in my tongue. And when we have the Holy Spirit within us, we do have that power, but we're handing it over to the enemy when we speak negativity, when we speak death, when we allow ourselves to live in the old man, if you will. And it's, you know, it's, 
it's a really fine line to have to explain to people other than it's not something you construe. It's not something you just do with a positive mindset. It's you really being conscious of the fact that you are a whole new creation and that we have to reflect the words and the intentions of Christ, knowing it has nothing to do with our mortal ability. It has nothing to do with who you are or what you are um, doing, you know, other than honoring what God wants you to do. It's recognizing his authority. Well, we have time for one more question. Did you have something? I have one more if you don't. No, you can can go ahead. Okay, so my last question is, you talked about the word identity, right? You Mm -hmm. mentioned that several times, it's important. And then there's also what we've seen so much is there's an emotional home, I feel like, if we can use that term, the emotional home that people go to. Yeah. And and sometimes, look, we talked about the one side where we can't identify with trauma if we haven't been through it. and It's not easy. But the other side of that is what about people who really they at what point um, is it like, OK, but you can't go to that emotional home because you'll never climb out of it. Like if if God, Jesus wants you to come to him and 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 thrive again, no matter what your trauma may be, but to thrive again, how, what advice would you give to people who seem to thrive or keep going back to that emotional home, back to that victim mentality? And I use that word very carefully, but back to that victim mentality and saying, hey, you're not supposed to stay there. Like get out of your dip yeah. with and still being sensitive to what they've been through. Well, exactly. And so starting with the simple phrase that, you know what, it's understandable that you'd want to revisit that. It is literally the brain trying to solve that problem. Okay. And, and the brain gets really comfortable in the trauma. So it is sort of this weirdly soothing um, practice. A lot of people stay in the re, um, re-experiencing of their trauma because there are literal neural pathways formed in the brain where you cycle through this and you keep reliving it and you keep going over it and you're perseverating on it, hoping that this time it's going to make sense somehow, or wait, I don't feel quite heard yet. You know, and part of that is saying, what do you feel like you need to be heard about that's going to allow you to lay that to rest? Some part of them doesn't feel healed. The other part is, it becomes very familiar. And we know from people who are in abusive relationships, the familiar is often and almost always in those situations, what feels safer than the unknown. Mm -hmm. So that's often why people will stay in that place. And so not only is the brain comfy and it's literally more physical work to form new neural pathways. And so when you're talking about getting out of that pattern, it's like, yeah, but what will people pay attention to me about? What do people know me as if, you know, how people are going to ignore my pain if I leave that? And what about the pain that I'm still in? Mm. And, and that's the ironic part. The only way to get out of the pain is to address what you need and to give yourself what you need to allow God to show you what you need And then say, I am a whole person who is worthy of attention and love and connection and purpose without that running the show. It will always be a part of your life. It will always be part of the canvas and God will give you opportunities, but you're living in a handicapped world 
totally, totally at the mercy of those memories that are telling you it's still happening. The brain is, is literally, there's no timestamp on trauma. That's why when you're triggered, it feels like yesterday and it could have been 35 years ago mm. until we heal it. And then the brain can put it into proper time order. And suddenly you feel more distant. I'm not, a, I'm not threatened anymore. That person is far away from me and I'm much more powerful than they are now. And God is much more powerful than they are. Well, you know, the typical response in in Mm -hmm. podcasts when people say, oh, that's good. That's good. But that really was, that That really really was was good. good. (laughs) Like like the the, the last couple of answers that you've given us, um, I'm like, whoa, that's insightful. It's important. It's heartfelt. It's truthful. And it's what so many people need. So I just want to say we are really, really grateful. Yeah, Sammy. And just Um, what I love about her too is that you just, you weave in so beautifully, um, you know, the foundational uh, scripture and God and and bringing him into the picture because it it can often, you know, find its way, way off course with um, the science of it all and and essentially extract God from the bigger picture. But he's truly wired, literally wired us, you know, in this way. But the enemy is just aware of it as he is. So, it's so interesting how it can be used for, for good. And it's so That's interesting right. how it can be used to keep us, um, you know, to keep, uh, keep us captive essentially yes. from, from moving on. So, so if, if people really, want to really hear, good. if people want to hear more uh, and they want to get in touch with you or they want to know where they can or find you, you and, yeah. and they love this podcast, please share it. Uh, where, where would you want them to go, Amy? Well, I, Instagram is my favorite place or my website, which is my, full name, amyvanslambrook.com, but please reach out. I will be launching my podcast here in the next um, month or so. And so I will be there, but it is truly my honor and everything good is all, all him. Um, and um, I, I take none of the credit for it. He is just, um, he's the best gift and uh, the most trustworthy source. So thank you guys. This was incredible. Thank you. Well, thank you for using your gifts and the measure that he has entrusted you with because it's it's important work and there are so many people now more than ever that need it. Amen to that. Amen. All right, we'll see you guys next time on the Turned On Podcast.